Today, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you want to want to go there, you can, you can go ahead and do that. Last week, as Rick uh, spoke, uh, he spoke uh, a message from, from Acts regarding Cornelius, the first Gentile convert. And he talked about how Christ came to break down the walls of prejudice. And uh, he showed how that story confirmed that truth. He also confirmed the truth that God is a God of grace. And as I was sitting there listening, I, I fully realized how much the passage today goes hand in hand with what Rick preached last week. And I, I truly trust that the Spirit uh, guided us separately uh, to a unified message so that, that we can, as a body, glorify Him. So this morning we're going to dig into the story of Naaman the Syrian. And our introduction to this foreigner of, from Israel will show... He was quite an accomplished man. So let's read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Now as we're digging into this story, we obviously need to understand and think about who was Naaman. He's obviously a very successful man. By, by any world standard, he, he's, he's a commander in the Syrian king's army. Uh, now Syria was a neighbor of Israel to the northeast, and they, they were sometimes allies, sometimes frenemies, if you will. Uh, they would fight each other, but sometimes they were together. You just never knew. Um, at this point, they're more frenemies. They're, they're, they're kind of shaky, but, but they're, uh, they're at least kind of together. <laughs> Naaman, now he's highly esteemed, though, in the Syrian, Syrian army because he's not just any commander. He is literally uh, the king's right-hand man. We're told he's in high favor with the king, but if you were to skip ahead in, in the story, and we're not actually going to go this far today, but in verse 18, the text reveals that he's literally the right-hand man of the king. It says that when the king goes into worship in the temple of the Syrian gods, uh, Naaman is there, and the king is leaning on his arm when he bows and worships. So we're, we're talking about uh, a man who is at the highest level, the highest level of trust, the, the greatest security clearance in the, the Syrian kingdom, that, that he would be there when the king bows to worship, Because if you know anything about ancient history, uh, kings either died of old age or they were killed and someone else took their kingdom. And so anytime a king is in a vulnerable position, they want only those who are trusted there. And so, so Naaman is that guy. He's highly trusted and he's highly valued. And he's highly valued because God uh, has given him victory. We, we see right away that God is responsible for, for the success of the name and had he's, he's had many victories he's called a mighty man of valor undoubtedly because of all those victories he certainly would have been well known in syria he would have been known as brave and courageous a warrior without equal a bona fide national hero in syria so so we have this this amazing picture of naaman and you can kind of come up with your own idea of, of who might be that that same guy in our, our country um, but naaman had a problem 
And it's a significant problem. It's an embarrassing problem. It's a problem that he could not hide. He had a skin disorder. Uh, the, the Hebrew word here is a general term for skin disfiguration. It's not necessarily leprosy. It could have been leprosy. But it was some sort of physically altering, visible skin disorder. And Naaman didn't like it, obviously. I don't know that any of us would. Um, so Naaman has all the success, but he's got this, this, uh, uh, this issue that, that still holds him back. Now, as noted by the writer already, God had a sovereign purpose to accomplish through Naaman. And God had been working in and around Naaman's life, even in uh, Syrian raids into Israel. God is working because by God's providence, Naaman had a servant girl uh, in his household who was, was uh, in serving his wife. And this servant girl knew of Elisha the prophet, and so she tells her mistress about how Naaman could be healed by the prophet in Israel. Now, let's take a, a little break from Naaman here, and let's think just a moment about the faith and action of this servant girl. All right? We don't know a lot about her. Matter of fact, we just have this one verse that tells us anything about her. All we know is that, that she's from Israel, that she's a captured slave, and that, that she knew about Elisha. And apparently she believed that God was big enough and loving enough that he would care about a Syrian commander named Naaman. We don't know her age. We just know that she's not an adult. So as a child, she displays amazing faith and she presents a really challenging example for us. So let's, let's just think about a moment what this girl has gone through. All right? She has experienced many harsh realities of life that not many of us uh, could, could compare to. She's, uh, she's had a, a whole other level of hardship that she's gone through. She's, had exp- she's experienced extreme fear. She's had a foreign army invade her hometown and not just her hometown her actual home and carry her away if you can envision and put yourself in that that mind frame as a child uh, a man a scary looking man or or a few scary looking men bust into your home they they grab you you're kicking and screaming they 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 throw you on the back of a horse with them and they ride off or they 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 throw you in a wagon or I, i don't know what they do but but if you can imagine the terror and the fear and the emotional trauma that, that she's going through, um, she's being separated from her homeland. All that she knows is familiar, probably from her family as well. And she's, she's taken off into Syria. Now, we don't know if Naaman is the one who takes her off, but she ends up serving in Naaman's household. And here's where it gets really complicated for us. What does this servant girl do with her experience? What does she do with her fear and her pain, it seems that she lets it go. It seems that she uh, is forgiving because if you look at her, she, she doesn't hate her Syrian captors or, or masters. She doesn't wish ill upon them. Whatever she went through, uh, she doesn't bitterly see them as her kidnappers. She simply sees someone who's in need of healing. And so she shares she wants what is best for them, so she tells them what they need. It's not forced out of her. As a matter of fact, it's volunteered willingly out of concern for Naaman. She shares it in the context of wishing for his well-being. Would that my Lord were with the prophet, 
he could be cured. Grace and forgiveness from a child. You know, it's this truth that Jesus emphasized in Mark 10, chapter 5. When he said, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Those are heavy words. This servant girl apparently saw God's kingdom as it's intended. Something to be shared, something for everyone, period. No buts, no uh, little exception clauses. Naaman's personal offense and nationality didn't seem to matter to her. What did matter was sharing God's kingdom, so she shared it. What did matter was that God's kingdom is an arms wide open to all nations, all offenders. So she shares the truth with Naaman's wife. You can see how God is working in and around Naaman's life that this little girl is there. Because, you know, she could have simply remained quiet. I don't know that any of us would have blamed her. (laughs) But she didn't. She could have withheld the information and they would have been none the wiser, but she showed genuine kindness to Naaman and she shared. And Naaman, in reaction to her words, following what she said, actually showed himself to be quite desperate. Let's read on. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Now, Naaman really wants to be rid of this skin issue. He's willing to go to extreme measures. Now, think about this for a moment. He, as the highly esteemed Syrian commander of the army, is willing to go into the king, the the highest official in the land. He's willing to say, hey, this little Israeli girl told me something that I want to do. All right? It's, it's absurd, but he's willing to, to go in before the king, and the king listens. All right? The king also takes the advice of this servant girl, and so he grants his leave of absence and sends a letter requesting that, that the king of Israel heal Naaman. Apparently, as, as we can see, Syria and Israel are, are, are frenemies enough at this point that, that they can at least have this kind of letter and this kind of interaction. Now, Naaman is also willing to go to extreme measures by going to a neighboring nation where he has possibly been a, a raider and a pillager and, and potentially risking his own life. Perhaps he would be recognized. Perhaps someone would, would see him come and know that he was a high-ranking official. He, he's, he's willing to put his life in danger. And we also see that he's willing to pay handsomely for his cure. He wants to make the man who heals him rich and bestow great status upon him. You know, only the rich had extra sets of clothing, and he's taking with him ten, not to mention all the gold and the silver. So once he gets to Israel, he goes to the king, and and the reaction of Israel's king makes it evident that, uh, once again, that there's a shaky relationship with Syria. The Israeli king is Jehoram at this time, and Jehoram was one of Jezebel's 
um, one of Jezebel's sons. So he doesn't come from a great family line for following God. He's not listed as a good king. He's listed as a bad king. Um, he's, he's a king of Israel, so that's just automatic there. Um, but he's greatly bothered because he feels like the king of Syria is picking a fight with him uh, because he's asking to do something impossible. He fears attack or possibly punishment or retribution and he's unable because he's unable to perform the request and so he tears his clothes which we've seen in biblical times as a form of, of, of culturally displaying distress. Now Elisha, Elisha hears of this and we don't know how but we're going to read about that and what happens next reveals that Naaman's issues are more than skin deep. Let that sink in. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going to see Naaman has a heart full of pride. Let's read on. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away. In a rage, but his servants come near, came near, and said to him, "My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean?" Now God's prophet hears of the king's distress, and we don't know if Elisha knew it miraculously by a heavenly messenger or if a, a human messenger came by and let him know. Uh, we're not told, but regardless. He tells the king of Israel, send Naaman to me. Send Naaman to me. I want him to know there's a prophet in Israel. I want him to, to, to see the glory of the Lord. And so Naaman arrives at Elisha's home with his entourage, his chariots, his horses, and, and, and mules. And Elisha sends his messenger to instruct Naaman. Elisha doesn't come out himself. He just sends a messenger. And so at this point, we get a glimpse into Naaman's heart. Naaman, up until this point, uh, we've seen his public image. We've seen his, his uh, sparkling resume, and it is top-notch. We've seen and heard the, the, uh, the, the magazine covers in the trophy room. We've heard the stats, and we've witnessed the riches. Um, and we have to admit, he looks pretty impressive. Uh, but we haven't seen his character yet. We haven't seen his heart. Naaman was very successful, and he was highly esteemed. And as you know... Um, success and honor uh, can breed some, some arrogance and some pride. And we see Naaman become very angry. He's angry because he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get what he expected. He probably felt slighted too that, that uh, a messenger came and said the prophet. He had expectations, which he states. He, things that he expected to happen, and they did not happen. And the text says that he became so enraged that he even left. He even left. He could not handle not getting 
what he wanted. And he leaves. Naaman went away because he expected the prophet to talk to him directly. And when he did, he expected the prophet to be full of pomp and circumstance and to usher him into this this amazing ceremony of healing. And he would wave his hands and things would be healed and the leper would be taken care of. You know, he probably spent his days writing to Israel, dreaming of the possibilities. You know how it is when sometimes you let hope kind of go wild, when you get an ounce of hope on something you really, really want and you begin to dream and you begin to conjure up scenarios and, and, and he probably had it worked out just right. This, this is how it's going to be. You know, big wave of the hand, probably some fireworks, you know, and, and they'll just fall off me. And, and I'll be on the stage and everyone will clap and, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, look at me, right? But, that, but it had very little pomp and circumstance to it. It was very anticlimactic. Elisha sent a messenger and just told him to go wash in a river seven times. Now, Naaman's not happy because the reality didn't match the dream. And uh, Naaman's anger management classes apparently fail him at this time. He's enraged. And not only this, we find out that Naaman is a river snob. uh, The message to dip in the Jordan was very distasteful to Naaman. The Jordan River apparently doesn't compare to his home country rivers, Abana and Farpar. I just like to say Farpar. You know? It it sounds much better than the Jordan, apparently. He's so indignant and blinded by his pride that he fails to even listen and fully comprehend what the servant has said. Elisha's servant had said to go and wash in the Jordan seven times that his flesh would be restored and that he would be clean. But when Naaman complained about what he was told to do, he said that he heard wash and be clean. He might be upset at the ceremonial implications of be clean. You know, he might be thinking that, that okay, they're going to call me clean, but I'll still have the skin disorder. He might just be upset that, that things didn't go how he wanted. But if so, whatever, it revealed another character flaw. Not only is he proud, he's a bad listener. You know, proud people tend to be very bad listeners. And the reason is because they're consumed with themselves. To be a good listener, you have to value others enough to actually listen and give them their precious time. And you have to care enough to listen and remember. I know this because I'm a terrible listener and I'm incredibly prideful at times. Now, at this point in the story, Naaman's servants gently and skillfully approach Naaman. They are obviously appalled that he would come all this way and not follow through. So they say to him, won't you just do what he said? You know, the prophetess spoke a great word for you. Won't you, just, won't you just do it? And look how skillfully they confront him. They won't even contradict him and say, the prophet also said restore your flesh. Instead, they say, did he really just say wash and be clean? Are you sure that's all he said? They're, 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 they're approaching very carefully. Now, I was talking to my wife about this, and she noted that that's probably a pretty good indicator that the servants cared about Naaman. It's probably an indicator that Naaman, for all of his pride, was kind. That and the servant girl. It, it, both of those probably indicate that Naaman was, was a kind man. You know, both the servant girl and the servants were concerned about his, his well-being. 
But more than anything, God's grace is in full view here. God's grace. The Syrian commander does not deserve God's favor. He is not worthy for God to work in his life. Yet we know that God has blessed him and that God has moved in and around him and given him success. But we need to make sure we understand that Naaman is not finding the kingdom of God here. The kingdom of God is finding Naaman. And Naaman is attempting to turn away from it. Remember, at this point in the story, he is still away. He's left in a rage, but God's grace keeps pursuing him and keeps nudging him. And as evident as it is here, it's a good reminder that we must be very careful when looking at our Old Testament stories to help our children avoid the false teaching that that God chooses people and chooses to work in people's life because of the people's goodness. God works in people's lives because God is a God of love and a God of grace and because He's good. And if we're teaching our children that He works in our lives because we're good, we're teaching them to be Pharisees. And that's, that's so important. If you believe that God has poured out His grace on your life because you're good or right, then you're in greater danger than Naaman. For your heart is leprous. It's only when we humbly come to Him that we'll find His grace waiting and that we'll be covered by it and then we'll, we'll, we'll see it. If you look at every Old Testament story, everyone reveals that we are not good. Every Old Testament character, no, well, not every, but almost every Old Testament character has some story in it where it reveals a flaw. Abraham, David, Moses, Noah, they've all, they've all got really dark things that they've done. So we have to make sure that we keep God at the forefront and His goodness at the forefront and God's grace poured out on the lives of those stories. And when that happens, when the goodness of God is seen and understood, transformation occurs. Let's read on. So Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. You know, I'd really like to see a video replay of Naaman going into the water. You know, know, to do it, he had to humble himself. You know, he's already complained about the Jordan River. And he, he actually had some valid human points. You know... He didn't lay, lay eyes on the, the prophet he came to see. The Jordan probably was dirtier than the rivers of Damascus. But this is what the prophet's messenger said to do. 
So picture proud Naaman going down in the water with all of his servants watching. He's embarrassed. He's afraid. He's had to swallow his pride. And he's afraid that he's going to be the fool. Can you imagine it? What if I dip seven times and nothing changes? Then I'm the fool. Then, then my servants are, are, are going to are going to laugh behind their backs. So he dumps himself once and he checks his arms and nothing's changed. Kind of rolls his eyes, he grits his teeth and, he, and a second dip, nothing. And a third and fourth and he feels humiliation creeping up and panic in his mind and he fights it off and he, and, and he just desires, he has this desire just to get out. I, I feel stupid. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm dipping in the Jordan River and my servants are all watching and nothing is happening. A fifth time, nothing. Six times, nothing. Feels just like number one. He goes under for number seven and I wonder if he pauses. And I bet it feels just the same. But he comes up and he comes out and he doesn't even want to. And the doubts are there. How can he return home to the king still a leper? Should I just stay under and avoid the disappointment that awaits? Will I be a laughingstock for bathing in a dirty river? Anger? Hurt? Fear? They're all present. They're all shouting in Naaman's mind. But then he finally comes up and a glimpse of his arm brings sheer joy. Hope is fulfilled and he's healed. And even more, he's clean and he's changed. The closest servant realizes it works and begins to to dance and clap. Some of the servants in the back, they're kind of, I don't want to see this, I don't want to see this. And then it worked. It worked. He's clean. It, It came off. It really worked. This dirty river, he's clean. And the celebration that begins to ensue and the shouting and the joy and the dancing and the hugging. He's clean. And it's noted that Naaman, in verse 1, who is a great man, and in verse 2, who is told of the truth by a little girl, has the flesh of a baby. He's healed, but it's not only healed of his skin condition. His eyes and heart are open to the God of Israel, and he is glorified. So he returns to speak to the prophet. He comes back to him, and he offers all that he brought. And he realizes that his money's no good. And so he simply asks to take back dirt. He's come into full contact with the living God, And he realizes that there is no other God. And this proud man has humbled himself and has been humbled. And he simply asks, can I take two mule loads of dirt back to Syria? Because he wants to worship no other God than the God of Israel. And he wants to do it on Israeli soil. God is a God of the nations. And God is a God of grace. This morning, I invite you to look into your heart and deal with your pride that is there. And no, I'm not making an assumption about you. I'm stating a fact. The Bible is clear that we all have a sinful nature and we all have pride. And if we allow pride to stay, it is just going to keep us from experiencing the full restoration and healing that God 
has called us to. And if we can experience that and if we can share that like the servant girl shared with Naaman, we can rejoice with people who come up out of the water clean, who come up out of the water transformed and healed. And we are called to do that. This morning, we are called to simply trust and lean on his everlasting arms. We're going to sing that hymn this morning as our commitment hymn. Leaning on the everlasting arms.